Welcome back to the Big Freedom Show. We're excited to be with you guys. It feels like it's been forever, but it's only been a week. My name's Charlie. I'm one of your hosts here. With me, as always, the king himself, John King, and joining us again, Nate Thurston. Two in a row. This is you say it like I'm not part of the podcast. <laughs> I missed one episode. <laughs> That's proportionally quite a few. <laughs> I guess <laughs> percentage-wise, it's a lot so far. Well, we're glad to have you back, Nate. <laughs> Thanks for joining Thanks. again. Thanks for having me back, And guys. speaking of percentages, we've been growing in leaps and bounds, so thank you guys for that. Keep that listening. Wins. Keep sharing the show. I'm so surprised Nate, just how many views you can get just by putting up a podcast and telling a few people about it, and all of a sudden there's just, wow, look at all these people from Germany, from California, from all kinds of places. Listen to the podcast. If you guys keep showing up, maybe Nate will keep showing up. I, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. All right, guys, it's time for the Whiskey of the Week. John has stepped up his game, and man, did he bring something special. John, I'm going to let you introduce this because it's... I've got to tell a quick little backstory. I went to my family Christmas this week, and we do it early. So my brother actually decided he was going to up his gift-giving game, and he bartered painting a room for a bottle of Stag Jr. from Buffalo Trace Distillery. So... We're really excited about this. This is a little different league than what we've had before. Clocking in at, whoa, let's see here, 132 proof, 66.1% alcohol. So, boys, go slow. And it doesn't taste like it, so that's the problem. Uh, yeah. You know, if I was going to give tasting notes on this, it tastes like a bucket of brown sugar huh. and fire. <laughs> Nate, your thoughts after that sip? I get the brown sugar thing. Yeah, that is good. As far as having 132% or 132 proof, it's not as, you know, strong and heavy and just hurting your mouth as much as you would think it would be. Who's got their cell phone on right now? Are you kidding me here? Oh, man. We're busy. <sighs> just sit here trying to talk about a whiskey of a week. You guys just let your cell phones go off all the time. <laughs> so this bottle, typically... I think, John, you actually got a really good deal on it, or your well, brother did, well, because he, had to, he bartered he told for a, it. Yeah, he told a funny story. He's from Lexington, so he's right there in whiskey country. And he said it was like a black market deal. He called a guy that he knew that had some good stuff, and apparently he was like, we've got to move on this quickly. My brother didn't get back quick enough, and he just sent him a message and said, I've acquired the product. These things move quickly. <laughs> and so fortunately, we were able to do this. That guy was super cool. Uh, Whiskey Mafia there in Lexington. Thank you, whoever you are. And but, this, uh, this bottle typically runs between $100 and $120. Yeah, the, so, the sticker on it's 50 bucks, but good luck. <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's kind of a, a rare uh, one of the rare whiskeys out there, so... Yeah, and compared to what we've had so far, I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10. You know, I mean, hate to hate to buy the hype, but it's tasty. This for me is a 10 out of 10 as well. Huh. See, I'm going to weigh in the price that you'd have to pay with it on the uh, overall taste, and I'm going to have to give it a an 8.5. Stop being so practical. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, well... Stag Jr., we love you. Hope we see you again. If anybody wants to send us a bottle for the Whiskey of the Week, we'll do this one over. <laughs> and that was your Whiskey, whiskey of, of the, the week. week. All right, y'all, we're going to dive right in. There's a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to bring you something that you're probably not going to hear anywhere else. John found a really cool article, and uh, you know we've beat the dead horse of net neutrality enough, but this does have to do with the Internet. 
And the article from Motherboard is titled, Tennessee could give taxpayers America's fastest internet for free, but it will give Comcast and AT&T $45 million instead. Now, doesn't that just piss you off just reading that headline right there? I'm so mad that they would give them... Just they wrote them a check for $45 million instead of doing something to help Tennessee citizens. Um, why would they just want to give them all of that money? Yeah, why would you spend money when you can get something for free? Yeah. Right? Especially I mean, for free. John, what's in that article? Because the headline, I'm already pissed about it. So yeah. yeah, the article says that Chattanooga, Tennessee has the fastest and most affordable internet in the United States. Many of the surrounding rural areas have dial-up or satellite or no internet at all. And Chattanooga wants to expand its network so these rural areas can have the same gigabit and 10 gigabit, gigabit services the city has. But rather than allow that to happen, the Tennessee legislature just voted to give Comcast and AT&T a $45 million taxpayer handout. The EPB wanted to expand its coverage... And the EPB is profitable, and it does not rely on taxpayer money at this point. But rather than pass that bill, Tennessee has just passed the Broadband Accessibility Act of 2017, which gives private telecom companies, in this case AT&T and Comcast, $45 million of taxpayer money over the next three years to build internet infrastructure into rural areas. It goes on to say that customers will have the opportunity to pay these companies more money for worse internet than they would have gotten under the EPB's proposal. So it sounds like the EPB is a, a pretty good thing, right? It doesn't use any taxpayer money, and uh, everything they do for the citizens is for free. Uh, so why do you think they decided that they were just going to pay AT&T money to, to let them run their lines instead of just using... EPB's free lines. Well, well, there there are some elements of the EPB that are kind of cool. I mean, they got way ahead of the tech race in that city. They call it Gig City. There's gigabit competition there. It's like 30 bucks a month for unlimited gigabit. Um, it, it's kind of the dream. I know at a federal level, we certainly don't like the government getting involved in things, but should local and state governments be able to come together to provide certain services? This is something we see a lot with sort of states' rights, certain State high tax states may provide different services that low tax states don't. Do we see that as a bad thing, or what do you guys think? Well, and just to reiterate, the EPB is is a co op owned by Chattanooga, so it's a government entity, right? And so I have no problem with the government competing as long as it doesn't steal money from the taxpayer first to do so. To it does, as long as it doesn't have a competitive edge by stealing money from the taxpayer. It, it's kind of like a really big HOA. Would the government ever be able to compete without first using money that it took from someone else against their will? Maybe not necessarily. It, it depends on, I guess, the tax money that's used. For instance, the sales tax isn't necessarily taking people's money against their will, per se. It's a voluntary purchase, but... You know, obviously the government does operate off of, of tax money, but if they were to compete without fleecing the taxpayers, I don't really see an issue with that. And, and because it's it all has to do with the Tenth Amendment, right? The, the founders didn't write anything about Internet access in the Constitution, so the Tenth Amendment applies here. Anything not delegated to the federal government is left to the states and to the people. And if the people of Chattanooga decide, hey— we want some internet, which some, which we should have dug this up. I'm I'm sure that was probably a probably a, a ballot measure at some point for them to finance this, right? 
even if it wasn't, you know, we're we're a republic everywhere we go. I mean, even your city and your local county governments, you're a republic. You you vote for the people to represent you in your best interest. And so I don't really see an issue with that as long as the taxpayers aren't being fleeced to provide that competitive edge for the government to compete with other private companies. I'm sorry to, to do this again. Um, first off, I don't know what fleecing the taxpayer means because I don't know what the exact monetary definition of being fleeced is. It's probably different for everyone. It's probably very uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound good whatsoever, but different people might feel fleecing at different times. Uh, but the the other part is that whenever we decided that we were going to delegate all uh, delegate the power to the states, and I, I agree with that, at that point in time, you couldn't vote yourself in the prosperity by using other people's money whenever they wrote that. And when they said that the, ta- that, the, uh, that the state should have the power, the power should go to your local government, at that point in time, they weren't taking income taxes from people. The government wasn't starting its own industries at that point in time. So whenever that was written, I don't think we can use that and apply it to a time that the government is using taxpayers' stolen money to start some kind of industry and say that the Tenth Amendment applies here. And right now, this seems like a great thing. The The blood money has already been paid, really, if we go back in and look at it. I'm looking at another article from the Washington Times now, which I think you brought this up, Charlie, when we were talking before the, before the show. But... Apparently, this was not exactly free of controversy when it was going up. People were feeling like they were really getting ripped off because all this money was coming out. It was a subsidized utility. It's now profitable, but during its sort of incubator stage, this thing was on the tit the whole time. And it, and actually, that to go on in that Washington Times article... <laughs> Had to go for the farm analogy for Nate. I hope you appreciated that. <laughs> okay. On the cow's milk from the teat. Right, oh, man. This, this article from the Washington Times goes on to prove this article completely false because the the uh, the big headline in this article is that Tennessee will literally be paying to provide a service a thousand times slower than the Chattanooga EPB currently offers without subsidies, which is completely false. So. How much of a subsidy did it take to get to the point where it's at now? In 2010, from Obama's, Obama's stimulus package, $112 million is what the Chattanooga EPB received. And the total number to date with taxpayer subsidies is $500 million bucks. So it's plus estimated or minus. to top $550 million is what it's going to cost the taxpayers, $46 million in interest alone. So... This free service only costs five hundred and fifty million dollars of other people's yeah, money. Yeah, five hundred and fifty million equals free, according to this. And article. now it's considered profitable, <laughs> built on the backs of all of these people that have had their money confiscated. When well, you have people like in Seattle, Washington, who paid you know federal income tax that paid for Chattanooga's gigabit internet speed. I mean, it's a cool city now. I mean, you go there; it's clean in some parts. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to get into on this article is, uh, first off, starting with the headline. When they throw these things into the headline saying that the government is going to give AT&T $45 million instead of giving away a service for free, first off, we just proved the fact that it's not free. It costs half a billion dollars. 
And then also, they're going to give AT&T $45 million. That implies to someone who doesn't just pay attention to this stuff all the time and, and read about everything and dig into the information like we do over here, that implies that the government wrote AT&T a $45 million check. Is that what happened? Right. We would think this is a grant somewhat like the one that the EPB got for over $100 million, but that's not really the case. What we found uh, is that a lot of that is just them counting tax money that AT&T was going to pay and them just giving them a tax break. And then also, Charlie, you got some other I, figures. I actually looked into the budget, which is 558 pages, by the way. And uh, but I you did a lot of looking. I did. And I found where they actually appropriated the money for the broadband access is what they're calling it. And really, they're giving the telecom companies $10.3 million dollars in 2017, which 10 million of that is non-recurring. So they're only going to give $10 million, which is a problem. We have a problem with that. But the other 35 million that this article claims that AT&T is going to get is really a tax break. And that we don't have a problem with at all. We wish everybody could get that kind of tax break. So what do you guys think about that whenever cities try to incentivize expansion or, or corporations to come in? We're seeing a lot about this with the Amazon headquarters too. And some some states just offering to give just astronomical tax packages. Is that is that cool for the states to be able to compete, yeah. or what do you guys think? Yeah, you get it with football stadiums. You get it with all kinds of stuff where they talk about these corporate subsidies from the government. Corporate welfare is what they call it all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm okay with someone getting a tax cut. Uh, any kind of tax cut is okay. And in, in this case, with the $45 million AT&T, what we found is $35 million of that is tax money that they were going to pay that the government's just so going to let them off the hook So it's what they're for. not going to have confiscated. Yeah. And uh, so I'm perfectly fine with a tax cut. And you know, I will tell you the truth, the government got in, this is what I told you guys I was going to throw you for a little bit of a loop here, so just stay with me here for a sec. Do you call this fair warning? Uh, this is your warning okay. right now. Here it is. But the government's going to pay them $10.3 million. They've got this big infrastructure going on in Chattanooga, right, that they used government money, federal government money, to to start this whole thing. And they're profitable right now off of their you know, other people's money that they got to use to start it. Pretty easy to be profitable whenever you didn't have any startup costs. I think they're buying themselves, <laughs> and this is the other, I think they're buying themselves out of it. I think they're going to have AT&T do this, and they found out that it's cheaper for them to have AT&T go ahead and take over this expansion than it is since even though they're profitable right now, they found out that it's cheaper for them to pay AT&T to do this than it is for them to continue to do it because they know that they're about to have to start doing maintenance on all these lines. They're going to have to do all kinds of other stuff on these lines. And, and it, do lose. it doesn't make sense to pull fiber optics out to a single cabin 10 miles out in the woods. AT&T can do that with copper wire for a fraction of what it's going to cost for fiber. It doesn't make sense. But the gig city can't mm -hmm. offer that. That's sort of an inferior service. It's below them. Not only yeah. that, but you have, uh, you know, you, like universal Wi-Fi and microwave type internet technologies being worked on that we're probably going to see in no less than five, maybe 10 years tops. So why would you lay fiber optic? Why would you spend all this money to lay fiber optic lines when really they might go away in 10 years? Mm -hmm. 
if they were really smart about it, if we're going to pay to have certain people that maybe it's not economically viable to have internet, they'd be better off just cutting a check to HughesNet and giving those individual customers something, which we don't advocate for that, but it's probably more efficient. So when you see something come across your Facebook feed or across your news feed, whatever it is, um, and it says that the so-and-so government has given... Uh, we'll just keep using AT&T. They gave AT&T $45 million to do this. I mean, should you get mad about that? That's the problem. We want you guys to start breaking down these headlines. If you if you just read this headline, you'd be all like, EPB all the way, go team. But when you start to break it down, the argument falls apart. And the main problem I have with this is that when you see these articles that say the government is giving AT&T all this money, you have to look and see if some of that is tax breaks. And when they are tax breaks, you have to think about this. This is money that that company earned that people voluntarily gave them, and now they're going to let them keep it. Is that worse than saying that the government must own all money, that they have the right to all money and to any tax money that they decide that they want. And by deciding to give you a tax break, it means that they're giving you money. And this is one of the few things that states are actually able to do to compete. This is a good thing. We like competition all the way across the board. And this is, we're okay with that part. Absolutely. And you had, I mean, I think Charlie might have a couple solutions for this. He's so going to fix it. Yeah. So when you read these and you're thinking, oh, this argument falls apart. Now, now what do I do? Right. Do I just, <laughs> you know, complain about it? No, we're pretty good there's, at that. Yeah. There's uh, there's real solutions that you can start to take. And so the first thing is obviously when it comes to the government giving corporations $10 million, which we don't agree with, or for the national government to give one city uh, $112 million, the first thing you need to do is you need to look at the voting records for your city, your county, your state, and your national governments. They all matter because these are the people who get to vote for garbage like this. When when that shiny new transit plan comes up with or, or that new stadium plan, think about where that money's coming from. Are they confiscating it from other people to let these enterprises exist? And what you do by by getting involved in primaries and getting involved in your local elections is you look for liberty minded people because they're out there and what they advocate and they will advocate on your behalf, not allowing this stuff to happen. And what this does is if we get enough of those people in there to not do these types of things, we can completely open up the free market and allow real competition that's going to provide real results, real results, make everybody's bills cheaper and more efficient. And we need to remember that at this point, after the EPB had received so much money, there was no way for the private sector to compete with them. They didn't have any of the startup costs. And so we can cut this off before it even gets to this point. Sure, they have a nice system now, but how much cheaper could it have been if Google came in and rolled things out? Another example of these sort of inflammatory articles that you see where you get the the flinch response from the meme, I'm seeing Patagonia and North Face and everything else. Actually, I didn't see North Face. Hold on. I'm seeing Patagonia and lots of other people posting up on social media today that Donald Trump is in the business of stealing land from the national parks. Juicy headlines. (laughs) Right. I mean, he's just, he's putting it in a bag and taking it. Trump's going out there with his AR-15 and taking over the land. He's got a really busy schedule, apparently. I mean, he's out there just... I want to know where you hide that land. 
where is he going to hide it to take it later after he's done being president? All right, so what's uh, what's the story here? What what did he take from someone? <laughs> so just to go over it really quickly, there's a national monument called the Bears Ears out in Utah, and what happened really. This isn't a long story. At the end of December, right before President Obama left office, just by executive decree, I mean, that sounds like a king to me, he came in and confiscated just hundreds of thousands of acres from the state of Utah. And so this is a new thing. This land has, it was taken from their state park system and brought into the federal national park system. And now... Trump and his interior minister have decided that, hey, why did we just steal all of this land from the states? It's probably better if people in Utah manage their own land. So he's decided to give that land back. It's been out of state control for less than a year. And he's decided to give that land back to the states. Well, now there are memes going around that Trump just shrunk the size of a national monument by a huge amount. And no one's even talking about the fact that <laughs> Barack Obama just stole the land from the state. Merry Christmas, Utah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, you're going to give you back what you once I, had I to I know begin it was with. a long year, but we want you to see this as relief. So how did this... I'm assuming that before Obama took it, the national park, the park wasn't there, right? There were just tons of probably skyscrapers and casinos and oil rigs, I bet, yeah. right? It was it was a state park to to wade okay. through our dripping sarcasm. It was a state park and the, the local citizens there were able to take advantage of that. I don't really know that there was any problem whatsoever. This was just a good old-fashioned Christmas land grab. I literally saw a video going around. I think ABC News did a video with someone who was really concerned about the fact that the, these places have been here for so long and that they were going to get destroyed now and the the, mon, the monuments wouldn't you know be there anymore. Yeah, these are two prehistoric mesas that are floating in the middle of the desert and all the land between them. Nothing has changed. Nothing changed over the last year, but this is something we should waste our time on. So, beware of the bear's ears and any other headlines. The important part here is look at headlines and then dig into it. The headlines are Almost always never the story. Just yeah, look clickbait, into it. Clickbait is real. It doesn't matter where you're getting the news from. The left side, they have clickbait. The right side, none of it is exactly what it appears. So we want and you if, guys to start digging into this stuff. And if you guys find something that you think you maybe we should take a look at, feel free to email us at info at the Big Freedom Show. We'll bring it up on bring it up on the show. Just like Charlie said, it's really important all the time just to vote for the right people. Just get them in the office. Get the liberty-minded people in the office. And, uh, you know, I think that we need to look at whether or not you should be able to vote, John. Here's, yeah, we, we, we here's another discussion you won't find anywhere else, yeah, I can promise you This is kind you of one of those bar stool. You know, six whiskeys in, you might touch the third rail and talk about this. We wanted to talk about some stuff that's not maybe in the news that other people aren't talking about and maybe try to to break things out and see what they look like. So I kind of posed the question to these guys, should everyone have the right to vote? Does natural selection play a role here? W what do you guys think? The freedom part of me says yes. Like, obviously, everybody should get to have some sort of voice when it comes to who's going to represent them, right? So we live in a republic where we choose our representatives democratically, through a popular vote. Well, through an electoral college system. At national level, yeah. But Correct. There's so other, it's, not, it's not a straight popular vote. There's other popular votes for your state and for your local elections. But, yeah, through the electoral college. But, anyway, you still... If somebody... If, you, if somebody 
is going to represent you, you should be able to be, have a say in that if that's the way it's going to go. But nowhere in the Constitution does it dictate anything about who gets to vote. Am I wrong on that? No. And the, I think the framers did that on purpose because this is something that they struggled with themselves. If you go back and look at the history of it, there's all kinds of writings on this. Even James Madison even wrote about it in the Federalist Papers and they argued all kinds of different sides. And I think they finally said, well, you know what? Let's just leave this up to the states now, because we can't even figure it out. To clarify, who are we trying to say? And by we, I mean you guys, not me, trying to say oh, geez. maybe possibly I shouldn't be able. I sense a dose of Natopia coming on. <laughs> just so people aren't sitting here thinking about, oh, my God, what am I listening to right now? No, we think we, say, think we should be able to talk okay. about this stuff because there are certain countries where there's compulsory voting. Yeah. Say, so I think I looked up there's 22 countries where they require you to vote and you can be punished by anything from a fine to prison time or. But what I'm trying to get at is you're not just you're not about to suggest that there's a specific non-white race that should be able no, to vote. No, okay. I'm not saying that that has race shouldn't play anything into it. I, I think that the. The depth of the argument, and here's where I'm going to get some hate mail. Once again, info at thebigfreedomshow.com. At uh, Status John on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Kyle. <laughs> no, here's my question. Because of the fact, which I have a quote here. Hold on. Let me, let me catch my, my arms here. You know, I have a quote here from Ben Franklin. When the people find that they can vote themselves money, that will herald the end of the republic. And so I don't think that our founders could have conceived the situation that we're in right now. They conceived our country as a, a loose association of states where each state was very unique. It was its own country. And so now that we do have a policy of redistribution, I'm going to pose the super scandalous question, which is, especially in light of the new tax plan where you have, say, 50 percent of the people not paying taxes should those people that don't pay taxes be able to vote? I, I would say, should you have representation without taxation? <laughs> nice. So what you're asking is, should people who don't pay taxes be able to vote themselves into a situation where they are receiving tax money? Where they're stealing money from someone else and taking it by a the illusion of legal means. Well, and you have to admit, human nature, what we talk about here on the show, is everybody has their own self-interest they're pursuing. And so... If I were able to just, you know, tomorrow go vote myself a million dollars, I'd probably do it, right? Almost anybody would because that you would be bettering yourself with just a simple vote. I mean, that's human nature. So, yes, this makes it tough. And I, the founders right. dealt with the same thing. And that's why it started off back in the day, only rich white male landowners could vote because they thought it best that those who weren't landowners couldn't vote themselves land Correct. from, from the landowners. I, I, I don't was the white part a requirement or was it just landowners? It was white back okay. in back in the day because you know the constitution had the three fifths clause as well. So which obviously we don't agree with. Right. Which is <laughs> the first lie the government told us <laughs> was that all men are created equal except for the three fifths compromise. So Obviously, we don't agree with that. Race should have nothing to do with it. But what I'm pointing out is that the founders struggled with this uh, so mightily that they didn't even put it in the Constitution, I think. I think they literally sat around and was like, yeah, this is too tough. We're not going to put it in can, there. Can I bring up one possible 
reason is that at this time, you weren't really able to vote yourself in the prosperity regardless. Because right. They the, couldn't the perceive government... the, the welfare state and the confiscation of wealth that we see now. So and we brought up, you know, you brought up the, the Benjamin Franklin quote and all that. And so I like to ask myself, well, what would the what would the founding fathers think if they were to come back and they saw the situation would since we brought up his quote would benjamin franklin sit down on the couch in front of the microphone here and say well the obvious solution is that if you're not paying taxes then you don't have a vote and that's it or would he say well the obvious solution is why the heck are we taxing people's money away from them and then giving it to other people one of those is an actual solution one of them is just put the band-aid on the problem. And I think you're you're stating it right there is that with our current system, it's not fair the way that it is right now. If we're going to use the F word, this is the libertarian F word, fair. Mm. Um, you know, it's not fair, but I think something that would make sense is if we did move to more of a, a fair taxation system where maybe everybody had a, a flat tax or some of the other things that we discussed, you know, if, if everybody is paying an income tax, then in my opinion, then everyone should have a right to vote. I do kind of have a little bit of a problem with it the way that it is right now, because people are always going to vote to steal someone else's money to take for themselves with refundable tax credits and all the other social engineering going on. Even corporations, things like that, they do whatever they can. If they can get a handout from the government in an actual check form from the government, they'll take it. We'll do whatever we can. Charlie was just making a joke about signing up for SoundCloud and getting some end of the year tax reductions. You know, you're an idiot not to take what's available to you. It doesn't mean we have to agree with it on principle. I, when I was in a band on tour, we made sure that as many people as possible were on food stamps the whole time because, man, you can eat so much good food on man, food stamps. Man, Whole Foods lobster man, we on went, the road. We went from being poor and eating cheap food to being way more poor and the, to where we could get on food stamps and being able to buy lobster whenever we went to the store. That's what f- food stamps can do for you, but... Uh, that's probably if you're not carrying around a bunch of kids with you on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. that. Yeah. So I have I actually have an excerpt from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1796. He's responding to someone with all of these same concerns. And Thomas Jefferson, and this is in regards to the Virginia, the Virginia House of Representatives, but he said, I was for extending the rights of suffrage, or in other words, the rights of a citizen, to all who had a permanent intention of living in the country. Take what circumstances you please as evidence for this, either the having resided a certain time, which means they have land, or having a family, or having property, any or all of them. Whoever intends to live in a country must wish the country well and has a natural right of assisting in the preservation of it. And what he's saying here is that in regards to liberty... If you're going to have somebody represent you and you care about your country, you're a citizen of the country, you should be allowed to vote for that. That's a, That should be a natural right to say, hey, I think, Nate, you should represent me and John, you shouldn't. Or, John, you should represent Thanks, me and Thanks, man. Nate, I appreciate it. And, Nate, you shouldn't. <laughs> you should be able to have that right. But the founders battled with the exact same thing. And I have another crazy article. I think one thing that, that kind of boggles my mind about the voting rights is – you know, for a long time, the left was always about, oh, voting rights for everybody. And the right was like, no, we can't have that. And then the right was like, oh, voting rights for everybody. And now the left, since Trump has been elected, they're like, oh, my gosh, all these, you know, ill-informed, uneducated people are going to put Trump in power. So I actually have an article from 
the New York Times. Oh my! I believe which that's is a bold a, move. Which is a left-leaning article, and they actually came up with a clever system, where they actually think now not that it would be implemented where it was law, but what they want to do is kind of create a jury system without eliminate without eliminating the cor- the current form of elections. So basically what they want to do is they want to choose a select few of p- people, inform them about all the candidates, and then they vote So they want, to do a, they want to do a current events test? Yes, they vote pre-election, and then they announce their results from all these well-educated jury-selected people. because they, who's, who's going to educate them? Is the New York Times going to educate them? So this is, what, this is what cracked me up, actually. But they said that these people are going to be chosen, perhaps, by major universities or television news divisions. <laughs> so, wow. You think about the college campuses, I think 85% are liberal leaning and and obviously most of your news outlets are left leaning. Right, well. and then you have Fox News as the propaganda arm of the Trump administration. So, <laughs> right. They try to act like they're not. They're they're like the, time, the so. hip RT of America. Yeah. <laughs> but what they're saying is here's even though the jurors would not decide the election, their vote would very likely come to exercise considerable influence on the result. And the way they do this is is that just like in the court system, you don't want to have the whole town voting on whether this guy should go to prison or not. Right. right. There, because, there's always a lynch mob when right. that happens. So what you do is you select 12 jurors of your peers that are well informed that don't know the don't know the victim or the uh, the person being charged. And so that's the kind of the idea is having a select few people. So, should, so should I'm not st- saying that I'm for this. I'm just thinking like this is kind of a crazy idea I've never thought of. So should states be able to each choose their own criteria since they get a certain number of electoral college votes? Should they be able to dictate inside of their what we would call country? Should they be able to dictate who gets to vote and have that be part of the appeal of li- living or not living in a certain state? I think. No. Equal protection under the law. So states shouldn't be allowed. I agree with Thomas Jefferson that choosing who your representative is should be a natural right. But if what, so if states your argument, cannot trample that right. But if your argument holds true, then why aren't we just a straight <laughs> popular vote democracy rather than a republic? Shouldn't each state be able to choose how it runs its own elections? Well, you bring up a good point because that's actually one of my solutions. Oh. One of my solutions to this voting right problem is... Because people could have the opportunity to vote themselves into prosperity, that's one of the reasons that our founders made this a republic and not a straight democracy. Because the mob could always rule the my by the mob could always rule the minority, but they made it a republic so it was more evenly distributed who was being represented, to where it wasn't just the big cities or the big populations that can do that. So that's actually one of my solutions: is that we're a republic for a reason. That actually inhibits some of the things that you're talking about of people trying to vote themselves into prosperity. And I would also say that when all of these things were talked about, anything from Thomas Jefferson, anything from Benjamin Franklin, anything from the Constitution, we weren't taking income taxes. We did not have Social Security. We did not have any kind of welfare system whatsoever. And so all these little talking points that we have here about how you can vote yourself into prosperity— I, you know, I'm just going to keep chiming in with what the actual solution is, which is to get rid of 
the actual problem, which is taxation and welfare. And redistribution of wealth. Yes, overall. The actual problem is not that people in the country have the right to vote. The actual problem is that half the country gets to vote to take other people's money. Right, we've sort of perverted what the initial intention was here Mm -hmm. of, you know, people should be able to vote, but because our system is messed up, it gets messy once again. So what's what's the incremental step here? So another big step that we can take, and actually Nate touched on another solution that I had here. So we'll get back to that. But one smaller step that they can take is we need to roll back. We need to repeal the 17th Amendment. What's the 17th Amendment? The 17th Amendment is that is what decided that the Senate election comes from a popular vote. Instead of before, your senators were selected by your state legislators. Now, what this would do would give actually the states more voice in the national government. So instead of the people always deciding certain representatives to maybe vote themselves more things, you'd actually have state interest represented where California and Tennessee and Florida... They they would think is more of a body rather than their individual. So the representatives are supposed to be the representatives of the people. The senators are supposed to be the representatives of the state. Exactly. And when the 17th Amendment And that's the thing that's very lost. We don't think of it that way. We look at the Senate as sort of the even playing field. What's the point in having the two separate houses if they're not representing different things? At this point, they all just represent the same group of people. And we also should note that... I hate to quote the New York Times again, but that's pretty much their solution right there. They're letting a small, educated group that are very, you know, in tune with all the issues pick who's going to represent the states. And that was, what, how how many hundred years ago? I mean, the 17th Amendment was passed in 1915, somewhere around there. I was way off. (laughs) It wasn't that, it wasn't because the 16th Amendment was the uh, federal income tax in 1913. 0.700 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Mulligan? The other here's the other Swinging solution. A miss. <laughs> here's the other solution which which is kind of uh and and I might go on a tangent here because we're going to get into some history of the constitution, but what Nate was discussing earlier was the welfare and and all these programs and things that we provide to the American people that they could potentially vote for themselves. And so Nate, I've got to ask you though, in the constitution, I mean it says that you know, they're supposed to promote the general welfare. So, I mean, isn't that... There's a pretty important thing you said right there, Charlie, and that's that they're supposed to promote the general welfare, not provide the general welfare. And those are two very different things. The government being here to make sure that everyone's on an even playing field, to make sure that whenever you open a business, that your neighbor that owns a competing business can't come and burn it down. And and then we're not at the threat of being attacked by another country. Yeah, the, to make sure that we have a safe place for you to be able to live your life to the fullest promotes everyone's general welfare. But it's not just promote, because in Article 1, Section 8, it says the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare. Common defense. Another really cool thing in there. It said to pay the debts. When's the last time we did that? <laughs> I don't think it said to create the debt. Is that a on thing? There. No, it paying said debts, pay the debts. Uh, that's why we have the taxes and to provide the military. It did not say that we had the taxes to create all kinds of systems to give all kinds of people different, you know, everyone else's money. It said that uh, if we have a debt, maybe from another country, maybe from something like that, that we could levy taxes to to pay that off. And the the general welfare clause is a common 
defense of why we should have all these programs. But I want to go into just a little bit about what James Madison said about it. And the general welfare is not an unlimited power to the federal government or Congress to have. It is only allowed within the federal government scope of limited power. And to kind of drive that home, James Madison said in a letter to James Robertson in 1831, he said, with respect to the two words, general welfare, I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. What he's saying is, is that the Constitution is a, is a document that limits the scope and power of the federal government. Because those two words are in there, general welfare, what he's saying is they're kind of a clause. It's, it's not a literal or unlimited sense of power because that would be a complete metamorphosis of the Constitution. It would change the entire scope and realm of what the Constitution actually represents because the, comp the Constitution is a list of enumerated powers of the federal government. And to say that the, wel the general welfare clause that, that Congress has the right to provide for it means that it's unlimited is completely contrary to the entire scope of what the founders created with the Constitution. Right. This was to frame the very few powers that the federal government had, correct? Right. So within their powers to do certain things, they can provide for the general welfare, like, you know, common defense and, and taking care of people like that, because that's part of coining of money coining of money and things like that. So it has nothing to do with they have an unlimited power to just create whatever program they want. It had everything to do with it was a general statement of saying within their limited powers, that's why they have those powers. So let us know what you think. Does everyone have the right to vote? Should there be some strings attached? Let us know at info at the big freedom show.com. Flame suits are up. We're ready to hear. We'll see you next week. <laughs>